Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we discuss the hottest legal topics weekly in the U.S. It is Friday for happy hour. Uh, We are posting by 4 p.m. on Friday, every Friday. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we are with Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. All right. So we are also hosted by um, the Law Unscripted. So yes. that's the the podcasting company that is supporting us, putting us out. Um, check out the Law Unscripted, the actual podcast itself, on Tuesdays through our companies where we discuss everything about the law you didn't know. Didn't understand. And no one ever told you. So those are the two shows. But today, tell us what we're talking about. So today we are diving into Gabby Petito, and I know that name is going to sound familiar to a lot of people, um, not the true crime side of things. Since um, her unfortunate death and her murderer's suicide, there have been a lot of lawsuits filed, and so we're going to go one by one and go through those today and sort of what they mean and with your expertise, get some reads on what you think the likely outcomes of some of these will be. Okay, so it's not expertise. Um, I am not an expert, but I am an attorney who has opinions yes. as to, you know, based on experience, what what may or may not be happening. I am not an attorney in Florida or Utah. I'm an attorney in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. But I do understand at least the, the basic premise of yes. the legal maneuvering and arguments that are happening. And I will tell you, it is absolutely brilliant what's happening right now. I'm I am enthralled. (laughs) For those of you who don't know this, this is really interesting stuff in the legal world that's happening right now. Um, It's a lot of what the type of law that I do of, yeah, civil personal injury lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And this is hitting everything that I do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm just enraptured. I'm like, oh, my God, this is, you know, there are a lot of true crime podcasts out there there are a lot of people yeah. who who deal in true crime and this is a true crime issue absolutely but the legal stuff is fascinating yes it's very complicated too you would think um you know maybe one so- lawsuit one and done but they are suing everybody um, right, i mean my opinion rightfully so um and it's very strategic it's very strategic in sort of the choices they're making but we can sort of dive into that later (laughs) absolutely yeah i i'm really excited to do that and you've read up a lot on on the content and i know you were able to pull a lot of the the legal filings yes you were able to find law school taught me how to do research i came prepared today (laughs) it's good we're hoping to actually use the legal language and seem like we know what we're doing something like that Um, we also, because we are the weekly wine, we have another wine and I'm so delighted that Chelsea has brought her favorite wine. I finally remembered I'm getting my life together over here, but this is my favorite wine. Anyone who knows me, you will find a bottle of this in my fridge pretty much always, but this is Riuniti Lambrusco and it is a sparkling red. Now I do have to be honest, Virginia, you know, I'm kind of in that college student phase. This is a cheap (laughs) bottle of wine. (laughs) We last week or the... Before the new year, we had the Dark Horse, which right. was a fairly cheap bottle, but a delicious one. I don't care what it costs as long as it's a good bottle of wine. It is my favorite. I've done all the fancy wine tastings and, you know, went, I went to Israel and did wine tastings there and in Spain. And this is still my favorite bottle. Um, tried and true. I don't know if I'll ever find something to replace it. So I hope you like it. It's very sweet, but um, I like it. So let's I cheers. I like sweet wines. Yes. Cheers. 
Cheers. And did a big Ooh. gulp. As usual, it's Chelsea's thing. <laughs> she gulps. At this point. <laughs> We're just used to it. If you hear it, it's Chelsea. Yes, it is. Oh, that's oh. really good. See, I told you. I, I love sweet wines. I love dessert type wines. And that is, it's almost like a Moscato. Very similar. In taste. But, right? And see, it's like not too sweet where you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's not overwhelmingly sweet. It's not like I'm good. chewing it. Um, but it's it goes down very see? easily. I'm, And that's a big bottle of wine. So we're going to see how much we drink of it. Go big or go home is go sort of my philosophy. <laughs> Tastes good. All right. Tell us where we're headed. Okay, so I'm going to do a brief summary um, about Gabby Petito's case so we can kind of have some background. I know you and I have talked about it a little bit, um, and I'll try to be brief and explain. um, Gabby Petito was sort of a van life vlogger, so that's one of these people who are sort of living out of uh, like a converted van, um, traveling while they do that, and vlogging, blogging, all of that. So she had like a small social media following prior to, to everything that happened. And she was young. She was young. She had just turned 22, I believe. So like fairly young. She was so pretty. So pretty, um, which kind of goes into why this case blew up in the way it did. Um, Like I said, she had a following um, from doing sort of her van life vlogging. And at this point, she's traveling with her boyfriend turned recently turned fiance, Brian Landry. Did I say that right this time? I don't know. I don't honestly don't know if it's Landry or Laundry, but I think it's, we're going to go with Landry. Yes. Apologies if we've got it wrong. I mean, I, I don't feel like apologizing to them. So if I mispronounce <laughs> truly, like if I mispronounce our name, it is what it is. Chelsea has very strong opinions about things. Um, yes, I do. I mean, <laughs> are we shocked? Um, but quickly, so they're traveling um, sort of to a couple of the national parks, more on like the, the West Coast. Um, something happens. And there is a recorded video of sort of a, an interaction with the police, and that's in Utah. Um, some sort of witnesses had called, and we'll get into it with the complaints, very specific, but witnesses called, said there was some sort of domestic dispute. So there's this like body cam footage. Mm. After that, the timeline uh, is a lot of what the complaint is about, is what happened exactly when. Um, but quickly, he essentially returns to Florida where his parents live. Without Gabby, Gabby's parents have not heard from her. They are on the national news saying we're missing Gabby. Someone give us information. Um, Unfortunately, a little bit later, her remains were found. Shortly after that, um, Brian was missing and his remains were then found. So very, very sad. He was found in Florida. In Florida. Yes. Sorry. Um, She was found in Utah, I believe. Yes. It's like Grand Grand Teton is in Utah, yes? Yeah, I think the the incident that was caught on police cam mm-hmm. was in Moab. Yes. But, I yeah, I can't remember where she was found, but I think it was still Utah. It was definitely yes. West Coast and I think National well, Park related. I know related. it's Grand Teton National Park, but I, don't, I think it's in Utah. There might be some other states that border it. Um, not really relevant, but sort yeah. of that's what happens. Her cause of death was determined to be manual strangulation. Um, and his cause of death, um, turned out to be suicide. Um, self-inflicted. Self-inflicted gunshot wound. Um, and he left sort of a notebook with not necessarily um, what we would consider a suicide note. It was like a half-hearted confession to killing Gabby and then saying he was going to take his own life to make it right. I clearly have a lot of feelings about um, 
why he wrote that in the manner. But so, that's what he wrote. But that's what he wrote. Mm-hmm. But that's what he wrote. Um, he said there was an accident. She was hurt and he was putting her out of her misery, which just like grosses me out because that's like very obviously not what happened. Oh, fascinating. Well, she did have blunt force trauma. Yes. But he said she broke her leg and that he, oh. right. Like she had fallen and hurt her leg and then had other injuries. It was, it was a lie. It was a lie. Like it was just him trying to absolve himself maybe. Interesting. Um, All of this is playing out in the national news because Gabby was young, beautiful. She was on social media. So this blew up and it was like minute by minute, you could hear the coverage. I'm sure everyone kind of knows what we're talking about. I remember the news coverage. I I don't know as many of the facts as you do, but I do remember the news coverage. She was missing. They couldn't find her. He was, he was alive. He was without her. I remember all of that. And so people, you know, and essentially what happens is her parents are like begging for one to help us find her then for sort of answers about what happened and his parents are not. And this is where some of the lawsuits come in. Um, they did their best to stay out of the, the media. They were issuing a lot of statements through their attorney, Brian Landry's family, Brian Landry's family. Um, I would make the argument that the statements they were giving were callous and cruel, but we can dive into it. Um, so our first lawsuit Okay. Yeah. Tell us, tell us what the, the first lawsuit was, who it was by, where it was. Yes. Um, so we're basics. in Florida, which is where Brian Landry's family is and where Gabby was living at the time. Um, prior to them traveling in the van, they were living with his family in Florida. Um, I believe her mom, also, her parents are divorced. So we have Nicole Schmidt and, um, I don't know his first name, Mr. Petit. It's Joseph Petito. Okay. Um, so similar to, we had way back in like the OJ cases, um, but it's just her parents and they're both remarried. So sometimes, um, on the list, you can see their like step parents names, but anyways, super random. Um, they bring a suit. Well, not they, as the ex- Nicole Schmidt, as the executor of Gabby's estate brings a suit against Brian Landry's estate. So essentially the people in the courtroom are going to be the parents, right? but they're not actual parties to the suit. Yeah, this is this goes back to the the wrongful death suit. Yes. So we talked about this on the Law Unscripted. Yes. And and we also talked about it on the first Legal Weekly Wine with mm-hmm. Casey Anthony is yes. who can bring a wrongful death suit. And mm-hmm. that's what appears to have been this first lawsuit is the estate, the remaining estate of Gabby Petito. So mm-hmm. she can't sue on her own behalf. Right. She has passed away. So in most states, they allow someone to step into their shoes mm-hmm. and sue another party. So as I understand it, it exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. these parties that are listed are the representatives of the estate yes. or the the guardian of the estate, trustee of the mm-hmm. estate, however it would be listed in a specific state. But in this particular one, it's the the representative of the state the estate where they take on the role yes. of Gabby. They step mm-hmm. into Gabby's shoes yes. and sue for her death. But mm-hmm. the person they're suing is also dead. Yes. So it becomes they have to sue, they're suing Brian Landry, but what they're doing is they're suing the estate because that's all that's left of him too. Absolutely. So now you've got one estate <laughs> against another estate so, for wrongful death. Exactly. Um, and that complaint was very simple, very straightforward. Brian, you know, they're alleging Brian 
was responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, not guilty. Responsible. Look, it, it, caught yes, it there. Very caught good. it. Now we're learning things. Is it's this is a civil case. Yes. If he were pursued in a criminal court, he would have to be alive in order to do the criminal yes. court. He wasn't alive. He he did a self-inflicted wound. He's passed. So you can't bring a crime. Mm-hmm. You have a civil lawsuit. Yes. And that's where you're found responsible or mm-hmm. liable, yes. but not guilty. So that's exactly what happens in this case. Um, they file the complaint. It's a very simple. It's the shortest of the ones that we have here. Very straightforward. He is liable for Gabby's death. Um, they got very close to going to trial. Okay. Um, so there, I know they were in settlement negotiations for a while. The trial was set for December. I believe this was of 2021 and November. So just a little bit before they end up um, settling out of court and the court enters a judgment. How much do you think it was for? Oh, wait, was this 2021 or 2022? Let me see here. I believe this one was 2021. Okay. Yes, this was 2021. Okay. Um goodness. Wrongful death suits tend to be a lot. Actually, let me correct myself. I do believe that was 2022. Okay. So recent. Yes. This that was, was recently n- that it finished. Yes. That was my fault. I don't know why I thought it was earlier. I think the 2021 is when she passed. That's I think that's when the events happened. Yes. So the lawsuit then was 2022. That's but correct. You were absolutely <laughs> thinking the right timeline because mm-hmm. the 2021 is when the events happened. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. It was like the August to October of 21. Mm-hmm. And then the suit, um, was in 2022. Okay. How much do you, and again, so these are people who are young, their estates. I'm 27 and, and I know I would not have an estate that was all that spectacular if I were to pass away. So Gabby was 2020, <clears throat> it was 22. I believe Brian was like 24. Okay. How much do you think the judgment against his estate was for? As a wrongful death suit yes. for a woman who is young mm-hmm. and clearly going places, had how many decades to live? Right. It had to be over a million. It was three million. Wow. So that seems wow. shocking to me. Okay. And I think it's interesting the way you think about it because in my mind, I'm like, Brian did not have a million dollars, let alone three, right? And it's you're not like, about what he had. Okay, see, that's that lawyer brain because truly, me <laughs> initially thinking about it, I was like, he doesn't have anything. Like, hey. he lives with his parents. What are they going to get, right? <laughs> Cynical side. I'm just like, this is pointless. But I think it was more about the accountability, especially yeah. for the parents. Um, and they have said whatever they are able to recover. I mean, they have the three million dollar judgment. Brian didn't have $3 million. It's likely that his parents also did not have $3 million. I mean, who knows? I guess we'll find out with these newer suits. Um, But whatever they do recover, they want to donate to Gabby Petito. um, They've created like an organization, some sort of memorial fund that helps other people who are victims of domestic violence. And so they're going to donate whatever they do recover. Um, So it's kind of sad, but I'd be interested to see how much they actually get. Yeah, that's this is going back to the practical where mm-hmm. you're thinking on it of why would you sue if clearly he doesn't have three million dollars? Of course he doesn't have three million dollars. So what's the point of a lawsuit? Right. There are a few. If there were insurance that might cover oh. some sort of homeowner's policy, it's not an auto policy. You'd have to tap into some sort of policy to recover from insurance. Life insurance, maybe? Well, and that's the that's where 
there would be money in the estate. Right. Not an insurance coverage that would cover him for the acts. And most insurance companies, even if it was some kind of homeowner's policy you could get into, Mm -hmm. are only cover for negligent acts and not intentional acts like murder. They they usually, that's an exclusion in their policy. They won't pay out for that. If you intentionally cause someone's wrongful death versus if you negligently cause their death. But if he had life insurance, depending on where his beneficiaries were, if it went straight to a beneficiary such as his mother, then it's not in his estate. It passes free and clear to his mom. Really? Yeah. But if if he had a life insurance policy and if it passed just to himself or his estate, then that money can be tapped into because his estate was tagged by the lawsuit. But it is very unlikely that if he had life insurance, it would be $3 million worth of life insurance. So whatever he would have in his bank accounts that weren't used to debts, whatever whatever assets he actually had would go toward that $3 million. But in this case, it doesn't seem like the judgment is about the money so much as the judgment is about this was wrong. This was wrong and someone should be held accountable even if he's dead and we want the accountability to be seen in the public eye because it's unacceptable. We don't want someone to be subject to domestic abuse. Exactly. Which I think was, was the claim. Yeah. I think the claim, um, was that there was a sort of a tumultuous, if not abusive relationship dynamic happening in that, that eventually escalated to the point of, of him killing her. Um, and so that lawsuit, it seemed pretty straightforward. Now, the two we're going to talk about next. And that one's done. That one is done. Um, like I said, they they got the judgment of $3 million. Um, This attorney for the Landry family gave, like, this, again, very just callous statement of just, well, great. Now they have a piece of paper that says they, you know, have $3 million, which, okay, it's true. It, it's not untrue. But, like... <laughs> If you don't have anything to say that's nice, like don't say anything at all. Yeah. And I have clearly a lot of opinions um, based on what I have learned about this attorney. Um, Small point before we get to that. This attorney, at the very beginning of things, I think even before they discover her remains or shortly after, was advertising his her face on his website. He had signed a- Gabby's face? Yes. As the defense attorney? As a defense attorney. What was he was advertising? Using her name because at this point, I guess that he had entered into some sort of retainer agreement with the Landry family, um, and was like essentially using like search engine optimization because this is an ongoing national story to like promote his business. Super gross, right? Like gross. It it doesn't. It, the smell test is bad on that. I don't know the attorney's ethics rules in Florida, mm-hmm. but ever. Every state, not even most state, every state, every jurisdiction has an ethics code for attorneys. In Maryland, it's the professional rules of conduct. Each is called something different. There's a standard ABA approved. These are the rules we like you to have. But most are modeled off of that. Yeah. And there are very strict rules for advertising and marketing for lawyers in each state. I mean, that's why even this, we have to be careful Mm -hmm. to say, on our show, here we go. Yes. Disclaimer is I'm not your attorney. I am not advertising myself as your attorney. This is not creating mm-hmm. a relationship between us. This is a podcast for educational purposes and analytics. 
Yeah. So we have to see that for our ethics. That's what Chelsea's I'm saying. Chelsea's not an attorney. So yes. we have to, if we're doing that, there's such strict rules for advertising. It wasn't even allowed until, you know, just a couple decades ago, yeah. they finally allowed lawyer advertising. But the smell test is bad. I would be very interested to know what the actual ethics rules are in his jurisdiction. I would be too. Um, and as we'll get into it um, shortly. Even with that, it like continues. This person just, I will say it. You, okay. And this is to me the perfect example. You are an attorney and you're very careful with your words. You give lots of disclaimers. Have to be. The way he just talks to the press seems reckless. I feel like I say, I never know what's coming out of my mouth and I would not. <laughs> I never know either. <laughs> Honestly, fair. But I would not say the things this man is saying. One, because I'm not a jerk, but like, you know, someone, I'm, someone's child is dead. Mm -hmm. This woman was killed. Gabby was killed. Yeah. And then, you know, the Landry family is who they are, but their son is dead too. Like, this is a very tragic situation, like all around. Oh, it's awful. And just his complete, like, just coldness just continues to shock me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's awful. But we will get into this now second lawsuit. Okay. So we had sort of the estate suing each other. The second, oh, we have a puppy in the background. Yeah, as, for those of us here, follow, for those of you who are following us, we do have dogs. Um, we love our dogs. They're our support staff. We consider them supportive. And my my dogs are wandering around in the background. You might be able to hear their tip taps. Um, and my poor dog, Charlie, who's my golden cocker spaniel, he is finding our cords, our, <laughs> our cords that are running in the background that you can't see. He's a having difficulty navigating the cords and finding a place to lay down. So it's like a customized, you know, like, um, like parkour course for him. <laughs> it really is. And he's not doing so well with the, the course here, the ropes course. <laughs> so sweet though. He's, but, he's on the couch now. So. Okay. He's at least found a yes. spot with our, our, one of our other dogs, but yeah. Well, anyway, we love our dogs. Yes. Check them out on our website, on our other podcast. You'll see them. We can't, we're we're not getting rid of them. I don't care. No, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. There, there is a question about the other one where we're sitting on our couches and they're, um, they're somewhat distracting. <laughs> we don't care, but the question is, do our viewers care? I don't know. We may not care anyway. No, I, th I think it'll be fine. Okay. So both of the next lawsuits I'm talking about are ongoing. This is current litigation. So we will start with the one. We'll stay in Florida for a second. Okay. So this lawsuit is specifically from Gabby's parents. So Nicole Schmidt and Joseph Petito. Um, and I believe the step parents are listed. I would have to double check, but. But not as the estate. They're no, not representatives no, no. of the estate. They're for themselves. For themselves. Okay. Um, suing the Landrys who are still together. I think it's Roberta and someone else, but they, those parents are still married. Suing them as themselves for their actions. Right? Your face, you're like, okay. For their own actions, not for Brian's. Oh, not for, nothing to do with Brian's actions. So it can't be a wrongful death suit. It's not a wrongful death. Um, I think the closest to what it would, so I have that complaint here with the cover sheet where you check the little boxes. Yes. Um, so it's listed under negligence, but not specified to what? In your okay, life? unspecified negligence. Unspecified general negligence. negligence. And so when they're sort of listing what they're, Alleging it's, I would compare it to intentional infliction of pain and suffering, emotional distress, etc. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know what the exact terminology like in Florida would be, but that seems what the claim is, is that you intentionally inflicted emotional distress on our families, which I'm like, I'm intrigued by this. That is intriguing. I've never seen anything. I mean, not that I would have the expertise to have seen so many things. I've never right. seen anything like this. And well, and they're very rare. Intentional infliction of emotional distress. I will tell you in law school, you spend ages on this topic. Yes. But in my 17 years, I don't see it very often. Yeah. If I see it, it is usually tied in with something else mm-hmm. and not by itself. Right. And it is very hard to prove because it's that intentional tort versus the just negligent tort that someone did something wrong with, without intending to, but their actions were so grossly reckless right. or endangering that it it happened. So, it's do you have the actual wording I of the suit? I do, because this is what I found most interesting. Also, in this one, they. And we briefly talked about this and maybe you can sort of explain it better than I can about the amount. So we talked about the difference between like suing in district or circuit court. Mm-hmm. And so in the first lawsuit, they said damages upwards of $30,000. Exceeding in, in excess of 30000 Yes. This one, they do not specify an amount. Oh. Right? Did okay. they do a different court then? No. Same court. And I will read you the little last page, you know, where they... The wherefore. Mm-hmm. There's language at the end of a lawsuit. For those of you who don't know, at the end of every lawsuit, I think in every state, at least the three jurisdictions I do, you have to put here are the, you know, comes now plaintiff so and so against defendant. These are the allegations. And then the, then at the end of all of your allegations, you say, wherefore, plaintiff is asking for damages in the amount of, sometimes it's in excess of, in a specific amount, or just damages depends on your jurisdiction so here's where we are and i will read sort of the last little you like when you do a complaint you do the little numbers and all of the things you're alleging so i'll read that as a direct and proximate result of the willfulness and maliciousness of christopher landry and roberta landry joseph petito and nicole schmidt had been caused to suffer pain and suffering mental anguish inconvenience loss of capacity for enjoyment of life experienced in the past and to be experienced in the future okay Wherefore, plaintiffs- so that's their damages. That's mm-hmm. what they're claiming how they're damaged. And, and there's the wherefore. What is the wherefore? Blah, 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 blah. And award to them just compensation for damages they have suffered together with cost and such other relief as this honorable court deems just and appropriate. So it's a, a general request for yes. damages as the court or a jury would decide. Yes. So now in my mind, when I first saw sort of this part of it, I'm like, okay, what could they have done that they're claiming? Like, we know what Brian did. Brian killed somebody. But what did the parents do? Yeah, why in the world are they being sued? Right. And I think at least because I was paying pretty close attention to the case, like when it was actively happening, it was kind of confusing. There was a lot of, um, like I said, they would not speak to anybody. The Landry family. The Landry family was really just locked down, which I mean- Solid legal advice, right? Like I, that's what I would have said if someone had hired me: is do not talk to anyone, and if you do, your statement should be, "We are. This is a tragedy. We are trying mm-hmm. to deal with it. Please be be mindful and kind about the the suffering that we're all enduring." That's that's what I would have said. And honestly, if you can't do that, just let me say it, and let me say 
We are so sorry for, for the loss of both children. This is a tragedy. We ask that you respect their privacy at this time. That That is it. Well, you nailed exactly what happened. Um, so in what the complaint alleges, it goes into sort of very specific sort of text messages and Facebook messages that Nicole, Gabby's mom, had sent to Roberta. Okay, so, so Gabby's mother to Brian's mother. Yes, to Brian's mother. Um, and it also, like I said, it, at the very beginning, Gabby was just a missing person. Um, and I think there was a lot of belief that she was alive. I, I truly think that's where the investigation was operate, operating from, where her parents were operating from. You have to have hope. I think that, and I think their assumption, and I am just speculating here, but mm-hmm. from what I've seen, it was sort of that maybe Brian and Gabby had gotten into a fight. Mm-hmm. He left her somewhere and just left. I think that was sort of the thought process. That he left her to figure it out for herself. And right. she was... And you know, maybe something happened, which is why she hadn't called anybody, mm-hmm. but that I don't think at the very beginning they thought that she was deceased. I don't think that was the belief. However, so they're, you know, they're on the news saying, if anybody knows anything, please. They're like begging. It's like heartbreaking to watch. It's going to make me, yeah. oh my gosh, oh, it like so make me tears up. And they're begging his family, the, the Landry family, like, if you guys know anything, please, like, we just want our daughter. We just want to, and then once it was kind of clear that Gabby was probably not alive, they're like, please, we just want her remains. Tell us if she's alive. Tell us anything. Well, Roberta blocked Nicole, Gabby's mother, on her phone number, blocked her from Facebook. And then they issue this statement that is, and I will read it exactly because this is the cause of essentially, this is the crux of the lawsuit right here. And it's in the lawsuit. Yes. And where does she issue the statement? Oh, well, the attorney, as you were saying earlier, the attorney issues this statement on behalf of the Landry family. And I will read it to you. And this is on um, September 14th, 2021. It is our understanding that a search has been organized for Miss Petito in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. On behalf of the Landry family, it is our hope that the search for Miss Petito is successful and that Miss Petito is reunited with her family. That was the statement from the Landry family um, given by their attorney. Okay. And that was on uh, September 14th, right? Shortly thereafter, Gabby's remains were found. It was clear that she had been, this was not like she died yesterday, right? Right, that she had been there for a little while. Yes. And so what they're alleging in this complaint is that with full knowledge that Gabby was not alive, they issued this statement. So they were giving a false statement of hope. Yes. When they knew that there was none. Yes. So that's, I mean, and they get into sort of more details, but that's essentially the crux of the lawsuit is that you either wouldn't talk to us. And then when you gave a statement, sort of put out this hope. And the truth was, is that you knew your son had killed Gabby weeks before. So basically you shouldn't have said anything. anything. It would be have been better for you if you had said nothing or if you had said prayers for everyone. Yes. Rather than... We hope they find her. We hope they find her and she's alive and well and like reunited with our family. So it's that extra step that they took of what they said. Yes. Um, And I think that is the, the question is what they knew and when. And so we can talk about this of the, the thought of when and why to file a lawsuit discovery. I think that's, what's going to really determine this case. Yeah. If, if the judge, I'll be interested to see if it passes summary judgment of, is this claim, 
valid enough for a negligence suit? Is it something, okay, they held out hope based on this statement, but was there, here we go back to the duty of care. Right. Of in a negligence lawsuit, you have to show that there was a duty, someone owed you a duty Mm -hmm. of care, and then they breached that duty of care. And this is a case where I think those questions come into play. There's causation of, I was injured by your statement. I held out, hoped for your statement that caused me damage and, you know, the emotional effect, the mental toll that that took. So this is a case, this is the odd case where you go from, okay, causation and damages are fairly clear, but the duty and breach isn't as clear. What duty did the Landry family have to the Petito family, did mm-hmm. they have any duty at all? And if they had a duty, was this statement a breach of that duty? And th- this is great. This is like the yeah. perfect week to talk about it. If you're interested in this particular yes. issue, go back to the Law Unscripted that we did on Tuesday um, at the, the first week of January. I think it would have been our fourth yes. episode four of the Law Unscripted, where we break down what are the mm-hmm. elements, what are the things you have to prove in negligence, this hits it. It's perfect timing. I think this does touch on a lot of things we've talked about, either with Casey Anthony on the show or sort mm-hmm. of in the law and scripted leading up into this point. I would almost liken it to we all understand sort of what obstruction of justice is. Like you can yeah. be arrested for that, right? That's a crime. That's a crime. Usually. And so we talk about sort of civil and criminal having similar things. I think mm-hmm. sort of what they're alleging is almost like a civil version of uh, obstructing the investigation. Interesting. Because in the mix of all of this, prior to Brian killing himself, they were kind of hiding him. And they're saying that they're not, but they were. So how does that fit into the lawsuit, if at all? And I'm pouring you yes, a little bit more. Do. I'm pouring myself some. This is extremely good wine. I'm glad you like it. See? I do enjoy it. And it may have to be one of the staples in mine, in addition to the dark horse. Because it's very, very nice. Very bottle, sweet. Ten dollars. It's my favorite wine in the world. You know, that's a really good purchase. I like getting good value. Same. And it's delightful. It's it's delicious, right? That's what I'm saying. And it says, so what it says on the bottle is hints of berries and dark cherries with fizz. Pairs well with friends, family, and fun. See, I love it. Which is this? (laughs) Great bottle, great choice, great wine. I'm so glad you like it. See, I've never had anybody not like it, but when I'm like, hey, it's a sweet sparkling red that was $10, like the faces I get, and I'm like, no, trust me, it's so good. No, it's it's really good. I'm so glad you like it. And it's a big bottle, so it would go for a long time or lots of us. That's what I'm thinking. Lots of friends, but... Two are good. Yeah. Pull up your own bottle of wine. We hope that you're enjoying one. And if you have one that you like, put it in the comments. We are more than happy to taste it, to comment on it. We are not wine connoisseurs. We aren't (laughs) the sommeliers. Clearly we aren't. Um, But we do like a good bottle of wine and we'll be happy to drink one and comment on it. We may not have your same palate, but we'll look at it. Taste it. I've never met a drink I didn't like. (laughs) Yeah, the, the beers are a little bit different. Oh, that's true. Um, that's true. I don't really do beer. You don't do beers. I like beers. It's just a question of which ones. I'm not a huge fan of IPAs. Sorry, everybody. Um, no. I don't like the stouts. Okay, what do you drink? What is like your go-to beer? I, I like Sam Adams. I love the sum, the summer ale is one of my go-tos. I like a regular ling, yingling. Really? Um, yeah. Fascinating. I've never... That we, to we me don't, is like, you don't drink beer, no, so I don't beer drink person. beer in front of you. Have you ever had a White Claw? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have. It's it's okay. They're okay. Yeah, I mean, it's almost it's almost like a cider. I mean, it's like a sparkling drink. Yeah. Um, not my favorite. I would rather have just a, a cider. Okay. Or one of these sparkling wines versus a White Claw. Yeah, it does kind of taste like TV static, right? Like it's, that. Like- <laughs> it's bubbly, right? Right. It, it's it's that- like a, La- a LaCroix with like vodka. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's really not my favorite flavor, not for my palate. Yeah. I would much rather have a bottle of wine than that or Fair. something, but it's good for those of you who like it. It's, you know, it's all about your personal taste, right? It's what, what yeah. do you like? What tastes good to you? And hey, I enjoy it. I think everyone will love this wine. I highly recommend it. Let me know if you try it and you do. Put it in the comments. Let us know if you liked it and if yeah. you, you know, buy the next 10 bottles or, <laughs> or if you don't. And again, comment, tell us what you want. Um, tell us about the wines that you like. Yeah. But also tell us about the different cases. We are hitting, we're trying to hit yes. the, the hottest topics of the week. And Gabby Petito is just a continuing one that well, is fascinating but legally. But it's funny you say that because what you like led into this perfectly because in the past two weeks, there has mm-hmm. been an, uh, a motion to amend this complaint oh, that we were just talking this, about. This same complaint? The, the one that we're talking about. Okay. Yes. What's, what are they doing? So that's what brought it back up for me of like, oh, we've got to talk about this is I think it was like December, don't December 12th, something around that time, time frame. Very recently. I'm not so super recently. They filed a motion to amend the complaint. And so that sounds like a, I will let you tell me. When you file a motion like that, those are pretty, pretty much, pretty, pretty much <laughs> just typically granted, right? Like it's a pretty standard motion. Um, again, it depends. Here's my lawyer answer. And I give it so many times when we yeah. talk. This is ridiculous, but I'm an attorney. So it depends. It depends on which state you're in. It depends on how early or late the case is. Okay. So if um, I work in Virginia and or one of my jurisdictions is Virginia and previously you could file a motion to amend any time before the defense was served. So before mm-hmm. the defendant got the lawsuit, you could file a motion to amend. You could amend the lawsuit. Then you get a new copy of the right. summons. You send that out. The defendant served. Pretty standard practice. Okay. There's a new rule in Virginia um, within the last year or two that you can still file a motion to amend before the defendant even gets notice of this this lawsuit through service, but you have to still go through the judge. That yes. you can do the motion, but a judge still has to review it. Sometimes there's still a hearing. Oh. You have to give evidence at the hearing or, or argue at the hearing as the attorney as to why it should be granted. And then generally it's granted if there's a logical reason, if it fits in with the lawsuit, you're not trying to do something super tricky and it's still before the the defendant is served. But I'll tell you, once the defendant is served, once the defendant has the actual copy of the lawsuit, Mm -hmm. it is harder to amend the lawsuit. You still have time frames. So each state will say you have... This many months, they'll do what's called a scheduling order, and they'll say, you have this many months to add additional parties to the lawsuit, so add other plaintiffs, add other defendants, and in order to add parties, Mm -hmm. that is an amendment. You have to amend the complaint in order to add parties, which is called joinder. So there is, most states have the ability to make a motion to amend a complaint to join a party, but it's not a given. 
you have to present, usually you have to present a copy of the amended motion Mm -hmm. or at least arguments as to what it would look like, what party would be there, why the party would be included, how that party's related to this case. And then the judge decides. So that's super interesting you say that (laughs) because they have filed um, a motion to amend the complaint to add a party. They want to add a defendant. They want to sue the attorney, the Landry's attorney. Wow. Um, Wow. The actual attorney. The actual attorney. So prelim thoughts on my end. So what they're alleging here is essentially you knew Brian killed Gabby weeks before this, right? And so this is interesting because now that we're talking about attorney, we're talking about attorney-client privilege. It's very complicated because, and this is an assumption on my part, but after reading that complaint, they are trying to add the attorney. I'm I'm assuming the facts are going to be pretty much the same. Generally, they are. If if it's a motion to amend the complaint, the basic facts of the case would normally remain the same in the Mm -hmm. complaint. You would add additional facts as to why this party, what this party did um, to cause your damages. But the basic facts would stay the same. So based off of that, my assumption is that they are going to also allege that the attorney knew for a fact Gabby was dead. And made the statement. And made the statement. Even though it was a statement on behalf of his clients, he was the one who got in front of the cameras and made the statement. Um, And so since I recently passed the MPRE, let's just all say a thank you for that one because I am clapping in front of the microphone. I don't care if it makes (laughs) funny noise. Yay, Chelsea. It was a close call. It wasn't, (laughs) but I was very concerned. It's the multi-state professional responsibility exam. She has to pass it before taking the bar or becoming an attorney because you have to know your ethics rules and she passed it. So yay. I'm so glad. But based on my understanding of these ethics rules, you can't lie, right? Like you can't knowingly lie is the better word. The knowing is the key, key point, right? Is that if you know something to be completely true or you know something to be completely false, you can't say it if it's false. As an attorney, as an you attorney. can't, um, or <laughs> you definitely can't in a court of law. Right. Almost all ethics rules in every jurisdiction cover the, you cannot lie before a tribunal. You have mm-hmm. to present the truth. And most rules even go to not only must you pr- present the truth or not lie, but if you know there's contrary yes. evidence out there, you also have to present that before the judge. Again, these really strict ethical rules for attorneys. Mm -hmm. The question, though, is, okay, maybe he violated the attorney ethics rules by what he said, but he wasn't in front of a court. He wasn't under Mm -hmm. oath. So is it negligence? Is it actual negligence for him to say these things in public, even if he knew? See, You'll have to prove he knew, but even if he knew. That's where my brain went. Because, and you can help, I'm thinking through this out loud right now, because my initial thought was, if they could, if we can assume they can prove that he knew, I, with my limited experience, think there's a claim there worth going to court over. You know, I don't, I think that would survive sort of a motion to to dismiss or summary judgment. I'm so excited to find out if they will be allowed to even add him as a party. Right. So this is my thing that I think that they might get. Um, sort of torn up on is that even if they're allowed to add him as a party, 
the documents you would need to prove that he knew, I think would be protected. They might be as that would like be my you thought. said, the attorney client privilege, there's, it, it's very closely guarded and closely held by courts, mm-hmm. by attorneys. You don't want to break into yeah. that privilege, but there are certain times and ways that you can break that privilege and obtain information. I just don't know if this is the time. And if so, I mean, the court motions that are going to have to happen, the in-camera reviews that the judge may have to do. Stop there, because I just learned about this recently. Did you guys catch that? The in-camera review. Tell us about that, because I it has been in the last week or so that I learned about this. Really? Yes. You didn't know this? No, I was doing some project, but I was looking at something for family law, I think that it was, or maybe it was more than a week, but like something for family law that was talking about sort of foster care and um, like Department of Child and Family Services records, that they're not necessarily completely closed off. Like if there is a lawsuit, yeah, um, the judge can look at them. And that's what I was looking at. And that's where I heard that term for the first time. So tell us but, about but it. But you had a family law class last semester. The quality of that class was questionable. <laughs> okay. So... It sounds like you never, that never came up in your class that there would be an in-camera review. I have never heard the word in-camera review until probably two weeks ago. <laughs> and she's a third year law student. But that's a practical thing, not a yes. bar thing. Think When you there think about it, it like that, is that like, they're not going to ask you something about that on the bar. Well, maybe. But they might. But they might. But it's I, more of a practical. Yeah, it's more of a practical, the actual practice of law. And again, this is why... <laughs> It kills me. And I love Chelsea. And I'm so glad you're here. I will ask the dumb questions. (laughs) We go back to this, but that's a whole reason the the law and scripted company exists because what we have figured out, and it maybe shouldn't have been as, you know, awe-inspiring as it was, but people don't know how to actually practice law and what happens in the practice of law. Normal people don't understand the normal practice of law. Attorneys sometimes don't even understand the practice of law, let's be honest. Young attorneys, new attorneys don't. And law students, the the practice is so much different than what they learn on a theoretical level in law school. Mm -hmm. And there's just this need for where do you find this practical information? How do you know what to do when you get into a court? And here's another example is what is an in-camera review? I don't know. Did Put it in the comments. Did you know what it was? Did you ever heard of this? And if you had, tell us what your experience is. And where you heard it from because I... I may not be like a top 10% student, but I try to pay attention. You're a good law student. I try to do well, but truly, this was a recent thing that I learned about. And this is even like I had prior experience before law school, like working, um, volunteering in the foster care system, Mm. like doing court, going to uh, court and giving reports. And I still did not know about this. Okay. So an in-camera review, after all that talk (laughs) about it, is my kvetching, is when the judge can view evidence in his chambers by himself, Mm -hmm. in camera. That's what it is. It's a Latin term or something like that. But the legal term is in camera, and it basically means that the judge doesn't have to hear it in open court, Mm -hmm. in public. It's not a part of the public record. It is either a witness or um, arguments by attorneys or documents that a judge would review outside of the court reporter outside of the public and decide 
-hmm. Is this information something that should be entered into the public as part of the public trial for the jury, for um, the record of the trial, or is it something that should be kept out? Right. And then there's sometimes where it's not a decision as to whether evidence comes in or comes or gets kept out Mm -hmm. and the judge is reviewing it, but sometimes it's a review of a witness, a child, Um, a lot of foster care, family law issues are the child wants to say something, wants to testify, but it shouldn't be in public and they'll be taken back to the judge's chambers and the judge will talk to them personally Mm -hmm. and privately. That is still also considered an in-camera review. It's not the same thing. It's actually not quite the same thing. If you look back at the definition of in-camera review, I think, I think I'm right on this, but God help me, it might not be. But I think the in-camera review is mostly of evidence, right? whereas actual testimony for a judge that would be outside of the normal protocol, outside of the normal courtroom, is um, something else, which I can't come up with the word right now, but it, it, it's the similar idea that See, a judge can consider something testimony. else. Mm-hmm. Testimony, I was totally tracking that. I totally knew that. I had seen that when children needed to testify. That made sense to me, but I didn't know about the evidence, like... It made total sense, but it was the first time I had heard of it. Yeah, it's especially for, for again, you go back to the attorney rules, yeah. is if something comes up where I would be tagged as an attorney mm-hmm. to turn over client files, right. client information, my notes about a client, I don't want those coming out. Even the information that I give you, mm-hmm. um, either just talking or on these podcasts especially, I give general information. Yeah, I never specific. But yeah, I don't name client names. I'm you know usually not even supposed to say that I represent a specific client by right. name. So in order to turn over that information, I would absolutely ask for an in-camera review. I don't want it just in public. I don't want it in depositions. I don't want it in a courtroom. I want the judge to determine, should it even come in? Because it is extremely private information. I am held to a duty of care Mm -hmm. to my clients. So let the judge tell me it comes in. If the judge says in an in-camera review that that evidence based on his review is relevant is material, whatever it is, let him decide, let him make me turn it over, but I'm not turning it over without a court order. Exactly. So this is where I think that they might get a a little stuck, um, is that in my mind, the things that would prove that he knew and then gave a false statement would be conversations between the Landry's and himself, which that they would have told him that they would have told him. Cause that's like, right. Like that'd be the only way he really knew. Yeah. It's not like he walked out to Utah and, or the West coast and, and found, found her. her. Um, but it does like give a little, little bit reminiscing of sort of the buried bodies cases from law school. Oh, tell us about those, yeah. especially from law school. I, again, it gruesome. Please, please don't misunderstand our excitement and our interest. We are not laughing at people. These are fascinating issues. Mm -hmm. And this one, most law students find this fascinating. And most law students, they can even get into yelling matches about why this is even allowed. So go for it. So I have very strong feelings and make sure I don't miss any of the details. I might, I might spend a second, but essentially there's these two attorneys, right? They're representing a client. He tells them in, in the shield of sort of that attorney client relationship, I've killed this. Per- it's two bodies, right? Was it two bodies? I think there are multiple cases on it. Yes. It's I think the, the one dead I'm body of, cases. I think the one I'm thinking of is that he'd either killed one person or two. He tells them, right? Like he tells them I did it. 
here, here's where the bodies are. Like, Tells them where they are. That is protected information. As long as you're not going to commit a future crime, it's protected information. However, at the same time, like parallel to this, there's a man in a criminal trial who is on trial for these murders, who is then convicted and put on death row. A man who did not commit it. No, no, not their client. And their attorneys knew basically the whole time because their client had told them. So then you get into this like legal ethics debate of like, you are not allowed to break client confidentiality, break that protected relationship. Can't do it. Can't do it. Um, so they know this information the whole time. I think at one point they even went out and like verified it was true. That is this the one where they climbed in a trash can or is that another case? I think that's another one. And I could be mixing some of them up. There were quite a few of them. The dead body cases. Yes. Even if you're not in law school, look it up. They're wild. They're wild. Um, so essentially they wait now all these years later, their client has died. This man is still on death row. We're talking decades later, the right? The wrong person. The wrong person. They know unequivocally it is the wrong person. And so at this point when their client dies, they contact like the ethics hotline you can call. And they're like, um, hey, because attorney-client confidentiality does not die when with you the client. die. Does not die with the client. But in this case, they're like, okay, like our client can't face any negative side effects. This man is on death row. Oh. And it becomes this whole thing. There's like the, the ethical debate. And essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the rule now is that like you are not compelled to break that, even if you, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is my hot take. I will not be an attorney anymore. I'm not going to let somebody <laughs> wither away on death row. I will find another <laughs> job. I'm sorry. Like, I understand. You will just turn in your license, violate yes. the ethics rules. Yes, I'm sorry. Get the information. I'm not going to let somebody sit on death row. And I know that this is the yelling match that happened in our ethics class. Because and I was that's like, why this is so, so controversial. Yes. Is the attorney rules, the ethics rules, I think in almost all states, if not all of them, say that if you have this information, yep. you cannot tell it to anyone. Yes. No one. And even if someone is on death row, even if someone's in death row, falsely accused, you cannot tell anyone. But the God, the moral part of it, yeah. So they is end awful. up in this case. I'll give you some closure. They eventually work it out with the, like they call the ethics board. They figure it out. It gets very convoluted, very complicated. That man eventually gets out of prison. Eventually, but eventually, I mean, it was like 30, 40 years. Um, so you know. I do, and I do believe in the importance of client confidentiality, right? Like I get it. I do. You you have to I'm not going to break that. But if the client is dead and a man is on death row, that seems like a very clear, easy decision to me personally. um, The the moral decision, again, this is why people are, it's so controversial. And a lot of people, a lot of attorneys don't like the idea of becoming criminal defense attorneys because there's this idea of, well, everybody confesses. And if I know that they did it, but I'm still representing them mm-hmm. and they get off, well, then how can I live with myself? So that's that's something you have to consider. Now, not every criminal defendant admits their their crimes. If, if they've actually done it, not, not all of them actually admit right. them to their attorneys. A lot of retur- criminal defense attorneys, including myself, don't will say, know. look, they don't, they don't tell me. I don't ask in specifically because I don't want to know. But it would in- keep me up at night. And when I was doing it, it, it's, can you live with yourself 
with knowing that you have done your job mm-hmm. and your ethical duty. This is your ethical duty to clients. Can you live with yourself? It doesn't happen often, okay? You're not going to have yeah. every other client coming and confessing to murder. It's it's right. not, you know, this is not a dime a dozen case. This is the rare incident, which is why yeah. it's such a huge case, is it's the, the big one that was different yes. than most. But it is a consideration that you have to think of as what kind of attorney are you going to be and are mm-hmm. you willing to risk this and can you live with yourself for doing that? It's kind of like a priest, no, it is. I mean, and that's priest just like here. how much, you know, how many crimes are actually confessed to a priest? I have, and well, they I, keep it. And I have feelings about the fact they're allowed to keep it clearly. I, I've it's never been shy away. Too. It's their duty, but I do have a problem with the fact that the law protects it because that mm-hmm. just seems particularly problematic to me. But so does pretty much, you know, I mean, it's clear. I have a lot of problems with the law, obviously. <laughs> we're not sure she's actually, actually going to choose to be an attorney next year, but I don't know. We're, we're going to look, you got to just break it from the inside. Okay. <laughs> but this ties into the, this case, the idea of like a criminal defense attorney, it's the knowing part, right? Like yes. that's the key element is that you can't knowingly lie. Right. If you know the information, don't tell the information. But if he can say mm-hmm. sort of that you're like in this like Schrodinger's cat kind of dynamic of like, well, <sighs> I didn't know. I wasn't explicitly told. I mean, did I have a feeling? Do I have two brain cells? Right. Mm-hmm. But did I actually actual knowledge? Right. Pro- yeah. You know, I think that's the thing there. So did he did he violate a negligence common law rule? Yes. Or did he just, quote unquote, violate his legal ethics? And that's even if he's allowed to be added. If it's an ethical rule. But this to me is something I will be following oh, because it brings I'm up so these super about this. intricate things. And I will say my bet on it. So the other lawsuit mm-hmm. settled. There was no trial. Based on the personalities I have seen just in, in the news coverage, if any of them are going to go to trial, it's going to be this one. Yeah, that it probably wouldn't settle. That attorney cannot keep his mouth shut. He would not settle. Well, you know, that's the other question. I know we've got a third lawsuit to talk about, but that's the other piece is, can this, if if this attorney is added to the suit, I don't think he can actually represent them for the suit. He would be another party. Exactly. He cannot be an attorney in the same suit where he's a named defendant. So they would have to get other counsel. Frankly, they should. I mean, now anyway, they should, because there's even the hint that they're trying to amend to include the attorney. I mean, honestly, even from the beginning, is that not a conflict? Him representing Brian and his parents? Well, not necessarily representing Brian and his parents. That's not necessarily a conflict. And if it is a conflict, there are certain ways around it. Well, I know they can waive it. I think at least when Brian was still alive, that like he was eventually charged with a crime um, that was not pursued, obviously, because he, then he was found he dead. Passed. But I don't know. I think that seems tricky of like, what can you reveal into who if you're representing all three of these people? It is absolutely tricky. And you need, at the very least, you need conflicts of interest waivers. Um, but it's some, again, it's the ethics rules. You have to look into these things as an attorney and it's not necessarily advisable. Even if you can, you probably can. It sounds Pro- like you, you could. And there are reasons. But yeah, there's the thing is, should you? Just you because can. you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right. I, it's permissible, but does that make it a great decision or great 
idea. Right. No, it's it is not a great idea. In fact, it's a horrible idea. You should get different counsel as yes. soon as possible. And frankly, at this point, just my two cents is the best idea. Not that it has to be, but the best idea if they haven't found other counsel at this point would be to find other counsel. Because if he's even proposed to be a party to yes. to the defense, it would be better for him to have his own attorney, them to have their own attorney and proceed that way. Yes. So we will keep an eye on that one and let you know. And I will throw the third one. Yeah. Two. Tell me the third one, because I know we're, we're getting close. We don't want to overextend our happy yes. hours, but we do want to make sure that we cover it. And yes. yeah, we're, I don't know that I want to get to the bottom of this bottle of wine, but Go ahead and throw the third one out. So at okay. least we at least we had all three yes. because there is a third one. And this is also ongoing at the moment. So this, this one is so I will tell you, she's gonna tell you a lot more about it, but from what I know of it, it is absolutely brilliant legal maneuvering. Yes. Props to the attorneys. Um, as a personal injury attorney, yes. the attorneys who have grabbed onto this lawsuit in the art. Of law. Yes. Props. It's brilliant. Whether it's going to work, I don't know, but I love it. Mm -hmm. It's genius. It's interesting. It just might work. And I'm, I'm intrigued. See, and I would almost agree. I think this is probably the strongest, most outside of the first estate versus estate. This seems to be very clear, something that's not as, um, inventive. Yeah. Um, and this is, we're leaving Florida now and we're going out to Moab. Going to Utah. Um, so in the very beginning, I said there was an, an incident, a traffic stop um, where the two witnesses had called in. The police then observed the vehicle that Gabby and Brian were in. The van, I believe, was speeding and I know for sure also hit a curb. Ugh. So then they were pulled over. Probable cause to stop. There you go. Super clear. Um, in that, Gabby is sort of shaking, hysterical. Um Brian is laughing and seems very composed. Um, And in the course, I believe it was 57 minutes. He tells the police officers he does not have a, have a, a a phone of his own that they share a phone. And about 13 minutes later, he pulls out his phone and gives them the number. So there's a lot of just, there's a lot happening here, but so the suit is a from, it's a double. So it's um, Gabby's parents on behalf of themselves and behalf, on behalf of her estate. Okay, so another it's it's almost it like is the Nicole. Actually, I think a wrongful death it is. suit. It is. With her. Yes. Okay. And then it's the sort of same like loss of enjoyment, companionship. So the survivorship yes. suit by her parents mm-hmm. of saying, I'm surviving and as a result of the death of my child, I've had certain damages myself. Yes. And then there's the suit on behalf of Gabby for the wrongful death as well. Exactly. Okay. And so what they're alleging is that there was negligence by the police officers individually, negligence by the police department. I believe they listed the city too, who gives the money into the police department um, and sort of saying that they should have recognized this is a domestic violence situation. They did not follow the letter of the law which a recent law was passed in Utah that says any sort of call like this, someone needs to be arrested. It's not an officer discretion situation. It's a have to. It's a have to, um, which they didn't. They didn't arrest anybody. They separated them for the evening. 
And then, but there was no protective order either. It wasn't a protective order. There was no arrest. So from my understanding in Moab, in Utah, an automatic order of protection goes in place for that 24 hours. Okay. Um, but anything past that you would have to file for, have the police report for. And I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but that's my understanding based off of there is also an investigative report based um, from an independent third party who came of in. the department. Of, of the, the police department. Who came in and I read most of it. It was about 200 pages of them saying, essentially the conclusion summarizing is, yes, they did not follow the letter of the law. Yes, they did not follow protocol and policy, but none of it seemed intentional. And based on what I've seen, I would agree. I don't think these officers intended to do anything wrong, but they sort of identified Gabby as the primary aggressor in this yeah. domestic violence situation um, and said if they had to arrest anybody, it would be her. Brian and Gabby both said, please don't arrest anybody. They separated them from the night, and then about two weeks later, she's dead. Yeah. So, oh, it's so hard. So the the lawsuit is as and yes, check me on this because you've actually read the full or mm -hmm. I guess it's the notice. So oh, yes. what they've so, done yes. is actually the notice of claim. If you're filing against it, or if you intend to file or possibly will file against a government agency, you will have to file a notice of claim. So you have to give them, depending on the state, it's either six months, a year. Um, sometimes it's even shorter time frame than that. Mm -hmm. You have to give them notice that you put them on notice that you're going to have a claim. So as I understand, oh, thank you. No, my Some pleasure. More. We're drinking a lot of this one. This is a really good it's one. It's easy to drink. It, it, it does go down a little, little easily. Um, but this is what we're reading is the notice of claim yes. that they're saying. It's almost like an insurance demand. Of, Here we are. We are filing a notice that we believe you've done X, Y, and Z wrong mm -hmm. as a government entity. These are the damages that we've sustained, and we intend to file a lawsuit. Yes. So I think, I don't know if there's actually been a lawsuit filed or just this notice of claim. My understanding, um, and I do want to take this moment to say I'd like to shout out Law and yeah. Crime. They were a website that provides a lot of information about this, but they actually provided the court documents. They made it really easy to find. So that's where I downloaded all the complaints and Good. notices from. Um, they're amazing. So many props to them. But on their website, when I was downloading sort of everything, it's my understanding that a complaint has been filed, but it's not accessible yet. Okay, so only the notice is accessible, yes. and that's what we're working with, but we mm -hmm. don't have a full copy of the complaint that might actually have already been filed. That's correct. Okay. So that's our limitation of knowledge. So we're yes. good. that's where we have, you can take, take yeah. it with a grain of salt or for whatever it's worth of the information that we have that we're using. Yes. And so what they use, even before sort of a notice or a lawsuit was brought by the Petito family was this in, the investigative report because the case was so viral mm -hmm. um, that they went through all of the hours as like third party. And like I said, their conclusion was like, yeah, they messed up. Probably wasn't intentional. Now, so for a lawsuit, if that's like the overall conclusion, you're looking at it and saying, well, just because it was intentional doesn't mean you're not liable for something. Right. Um, and what I found surprising was because Brian Landry's estate had already been deemed liable for the wrongful death. I was like, well, how can they bring this like wrongful death suit again? But Virginia said they can. It's a different jurisdiction and they're able it to do that. It is a totally different jurisdiction, right? It's not Florida. We are right. now in Utah. 
So we get into these double jeopardy issues, which is a criminal issue. Right. But a lot of people say, well, it's double jeopardy. Well, that doesn't apply. Um, because and the parties are different, totally di- Parties are different. Place is different. State is different. Everything is different. But they do have the ability to sue other parties for the wrongful death. Yes, Brian Landry mm-hmm. was found as he caused the death of Gabby Petito. Right. But this lawsuit explores the idea that he was not the only one. So what it seems to be alleging, based on the yes. notice that was given, is that the Moab Police Department, with the actions they took and the actions they did not take, yes, those were at least some direct and proximate cause of her death a few weeks later. Yes. I, I mean, that sums it up beautifully. I think it's it's really hard for me because I did watch all the videos. I read this report. I think the law is a great thing, but I think it is an imperfect thing, yeah. and especially in the realm of family or and especially domestic violence. Like, I don't think there's a way to make the law adequately address a lot of these things. I, I yeah. just don't. Um, and I understand sort of the dynamic here at the scene is you have an officer who's sort of a more rookie officer. He's training. You have this older officer that stuff about his personal life has come out that is questionable. That, that seems domestic related. Yes. Um, but he, the, the rookie, in my opinion, seems to try, be trying to like do things by the book, do the right mm-hmm. thing. Well, by the book means an arrest needed to be made. And you're looking at these not kids, but like a 22, 24 year old who have gotten into this like argument, a witness saw it and was like, I mean, I think they were physical with each other. Not really sure. And then they're like begging. Like I get, you know, on an emotional sort of human side, you're like, you don't want to like mess somebody's life up. Right. Right. Because they had identified Gabby as the primary aggressor. Of course she doesn't want to be arrested. Right. And she doesn't. And I think that there is, and it says in the notice that they negligently identified her as the primary aggressor versus Brian, which I would agree. Um, both of the witnesses who called the police identified him as the primary aggressor. She is shaking uncontrollably for the entire mm. interaction. And he is like laughing the fury. I feel like, I'm sorry, people like yeah. that men like that. Look, it's, it's hard. Again, we go back to the moral yes. sense. The, the Me Too movement, yeah. we're, we're hitting the domestic violence of, is this primarily against women? Right. And should it have been very clear right. to anyone that Gabby seems like she was being abused versus the other way around? Right. Um, and we, we don't know. Yes. We ultimately don't know. We weren't there. And it was, right, you know, right. they were having a difficult time deciding. Absolutely. So, and they consulted. And I think this is the part that I mm-hmm. think makes the department more negligent. Like I said, I, I truthfully, based on my, what I've read, what I've seen, don't fault the officers for their choice. No, it was the wrong choice, but I yeah. understand sort of like from a human side, like how and why that was made. What I do not understand is when they called the supervisor, like their captain, is that the right? I, I don't the know what in the, charge of these officers. The, yeah. Um, they the call him to ask for sa- sort of some guidance on how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. And they are pretty much shut down and like offered no guidance. To me, that seems, that part seems pretty damning for like the negligent side of things. Was he required to? And that's, yes. that's they, where we get for, for this lawsuit. We're going to get, we're going to hit duty breach and causation. I think Again, causation go back too. to look 
at the the Law Unscripted for the first Tuesday of January, the fourth episode, because we're we explain the different elements that you have to yeah. prove of negligence. But for this one, let me tell you, cause first of all, there's duty and breach. We talked about that yep. earlier here, where it's going to be hard for the Petito family yeah. to show that the Landry family had any duty A to duty. them, that they breached any duty. That's going to be, I think, the bigger issue than causation and damages. But in this case, yes, we still have duty. Did the police department have a duty to Gabby Petito and Brian Landry? Yes, they have yes. some in responding to a call. Mm -hmm. What is the extent of that duty? How far does it reach? What right. rules are they subject to? It seems based on this report that was filed that they didn't file follow mm -hmm. the rules that they had. That, yeah, so, and that's correct from my understanding too, is that it was even a recent change in mm -hmm. sort of U Utah legislation that was intended to take away discretion for these types of cases. And- it does seem like it was thrown. Yeah. So it, it seems like they did violate this rule, but was that a breach for a tort case? For and a was that case? enough to show the causation to yes. her death? That's the big one for this. And, and again, I love the legal maneuvering. It is very creative. It's extremely creative of they're seeing this police department is at least partially responsible mm -hmm. for her death. Of course, they didn't go and, you know, beat her, strangle her, et cetera. That was right. another individual. So Brian, Le they're not saying that Moab is the only cause no. of her death. They're saying, yes, Brian Landry had, had cause for her death, was the ultimate cause of her death. But the question is, is there another entity Right. Or another person, like including but these for police their negligence, right. Gabby would be alive. Right. But for their actions or their inactions, would she be alive? Yeah. And if this gets to a jury or a judge, that is a hard question. Oh, for sure. How do you say that their actions two weeks before her death mm -hmm. did or didn't contribute? Would this have yeah. happened anyway? Yeah. Is, is his character, is Brian's character such that he would have done this whether two weeks, four right. weeks, you know, four months from that time, it would have happened anyway. Whereas the plaintiff side is going to be saying, no, she would still be alive except for this incident and the actions or inactions of the police officers. And that's what a judge or jury is going to have to decide. And what a question to have to decide. Oh, I do not envy a jury on that. It's good. That is a hard question, but it's a question of fact. It is. It is a question of fact for the jury. Not of law. Is It's not of law. A jury would have to decide, are these actions part of the cause? And a judge can't necessarily say yes or no. So, a, you know, no. a judge or a jury would have to decide at a trial. So I think that a trial would be sustained, that it would oh, be absolutely. upheld. But goodness, what a risk. And see, on the personal level, because, you know, this is our happy hour. It I will is. tell you. I will tell you, I do not think a win in Moab would be quite as satisfying as a win in Florida because I detest the parents' actions that they took. Like to me, it is just beyond, it is just beyond like comprehension for me of to yeah. be that, just that Over the cold. death of a child. That right. I, I think that's where it's hitting this, um, 
the cerebral issue. Yes. You know, you're going to the amygdala or whatever the proper psychological terms are is you're going back to that. This is wrong moment where yes. the little person inside of your head is going, this is wrong. This is wrong. Yes. Um, but is it legally wrong? Can That's they be thing. held accountable? I don't think in a the court law of- can handle this one because I don't know what they did. And again, it just, to me, I guess maybe I, offer sort of more in a professional context, like with an officer or police department, like sort of more room for error. But like Gabby was living with these people. Like at the time, like that is such a, like talk about just like a disregard for life. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't have kids and they're like, you know, I love my son so much, but I don't know. I don't know about that, my friend. I don't know. So this is, this is fascinating. So everybody, if you haven't caught up with the Gabby Petito case, it is currently happening. These cases are ongoing. Um, We are on edge to see what happens next. Definitely on edge to see, will the attorney be allowed um, to be put into the lawsuit? What will the Moab police department do? Frankly, I think that it will probably settle out with the police department, maybe not with the mayor or other people who have been named, but my personal thoughts based on experience mm-hmm. are they they will probably settle out for something. That makes sense. But will a trial go forward? I don't know. And I am, as an attorney, I am legally fascinated, absolutely enthralled yeah. again with this case. So thank you very much for bringing it up and giving us thank some you. information. Hey, I, like I said, I was in, I was sort of on my toes when it was happening in sort of the true crime aspect yeah. of it, but this has been equally complicated. So I hope we were able to explain, like, I know a lot of people are familiar with the case, so I hope we're able to sort of explain in a fun way with, you know, with the subject material, sort of what's happening in the law with it right now. Um, while we, you know, I talk about how much I <laughs> My strong opinions about the law and about the Landry family. <laughs> Chelsea's opinionated self give, gives those opinions. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what makes it interesting yes. and makes it fun and hopefully interesting people, for like, you. That's the thing. I understand like we're going to be, you know, I, you are an attorney. I will be an attorney eventually, but I'm still a person, right? Like I have opinions. Absolutely. And, and those opinions are okay. It's happy yes. hour. This is an acceptable place and you all have opinions too. This yeah. is. This is a hot case. Yes. So questions, let us know what you think. Um, Like, comment, subscribe. Like I said, if there was anything you sort of want to know more about that we spoke about. Put it in. um, Another case that you have questions about. um, Or I'm just going to keep coming up with them and you guys are like (laughs) at the mercy of my whims. (laughs) They're not whims. They're current cases. That's true. But yes, if there's something that you think is current, what we're trying to do is actually each week hit hit what we think are legally the most significant yes. and we're going to default a little bit to the civil law mm-hmm. um, because I don't think a lot of that is spoken about there right. are a lot there's a lot of commentary on criminal cases um, a lot of people talking about people who have been arrested trials for the criminal cases but right. I do the so I did the criminal cases. they're interesting but yeah. I, I love talking about the civil because I don't think a, a lot of people understand them as well as they do the criminal right. ones. So we're going to hit the hot legal topics, yes. but I love the civil slant on it. Yeah. Let us know. We're going to see what comes up next week so that we yeah. can talk about that. And um, it might be more than one case. We might hit so. a couple. I have a few that I've seen that, you know, are supposed to get updates in the next oh, week. So we're we might waiting. Have to hit them. <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting. So 
yeah, thank yes. you for joining us for the Legal Weekly Wine brought to you by Tarani Law LLC and the Law Unscripted. Again, I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm Chelsea Rogers. And check us out next week, every Friday for happy hour and check out our other podcasts and our other information. Um, you can find us also on www.taranilawllc.com. Um, just opened the business officially yep. at Yay. the new year. So that was the big an- announcement. I know, God, we waited till the very end. The big announcement we told you yes. in the last episode, that is what we wanted to tell you yes. is officially the law office has opened for business. I am on my own. Um, Chelsea's helping out with, with the legal assistant position and with the podcast. So follow us, like us, um, rate us, comment on us. Um, we love the interaction. We love that you're interested. Hopefully other people will find us if you find interest in us and like, and share. Absolutely. Um, but that is what we had to say about today and Gabby Petito. Yes. So it was great to be here with you guys. Like I said, like, comment, subscribe, wine recommendations, questions you have for us. Um, If not, you know, if you need an attorney and you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, check us out. (laughs) Yeah, check us out. We're accident injury attorneys. Um, I'm an accident injury attorney. You're a law student. We're speaking that into being. Um, But yeah, we're happy to help. Um, If you want to check us out, do that because you never need a lawyer. Till you do.